Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. I'm joined here with my new son, Colt. And so if you hear some little whining for this next 30 seconds, uh, he's just here sitting with me in the morning recording my intro. Uh, but... Just wanted to introduce this episode um, and then encourage you to go back to the last episode. I could see the data that uh, not many people finished it, and it kind of made me a little nervous. The The stuff we talked about there is important to all hunters, and it's not just about going and signing a, uh, a deal, get, getting letters out to commissioners. You really need to... to to listen to what Charles is talking about, and and I think it's 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 really important. So I encourage you to go back and give that give that one a full listen. Maybe you guys just aren't done with it yet, uh, but I would encourage you to go back and give that a listen. In this episode, I got John Stallone uh, from Days in the Wild podcast, as well as many other things that he's done. We dive into some awesome, awesome mule deer hunting tips. Uh, and then also discuss a little bit about the hunting community. Uh, he is also one of the co-founders of Howl. We don't dive into the structure of Howl like we did the last episode, but we discuss the hunting community and what, what it's all about and um, what some of the fixes might be to uh, help unite us even more. But I really suggest you give this one a full listen. Uh, I am taking away quite a bit from this episode for myself, some good quality mule deer hunting tips and enjoyed this conversation immensely. Uh, so much so that I'm going to be on his podcast here coming up pretty soon. Uh, so watch for that over there. If you do enjoy this episode, I really encourage you to go over and, and follow, um, give me a good review. I'd appreciate that. As always, thanks again for listening. All right, John, thanks for coming on to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Uh, we uh, just got connected recently, and 
just in the last five minutes, I've been learning all about you and kind of what, uh, kind of these different hats you wear and different pieces. And, and I'm kind of excited about a few different things. Uh, one, listening to your podcast there, uh, learn more about Howl. Um, you got a South Dakota guide connection there. So that's, that's fun. Uh, as well as Arizona, I've got a little hopes and dreams of hunting Arizona here soon. Supposed to do that this last January, but had to, my wife's quite pregnant and decided it was a horrible, horrible time to travel. Uh, she gave me the permissions and whatever else to go. And I'd made that own, my own decision to say, not the time I need to be here for my wife. (laughs) So had it all lined (laughs) out. Yeah. Had it all lined out. It was going to be a great trip, but had to, had to pull the plug at the last moment. And and I feel good about it. It's no big deal. I've got, got my connections down there to, to run around at a later date and, and it'll be good. It'll be totally good. So, well, uh, thanks for, thanks for being on the podcast today and reaching out. And, uh, if you would, would, uh, uh, introduce yourself and tell us, tell us who you are. Sure. Uh, John Stallone. Uh, I've been hunting since I'm five years old and I'm 46 now. So better part of 40, 41 years. And, uh, I'm a dad of three, um, husband, and uh, I've been in the hunting industry in some way, shape, or form for the last 21 years. Um, getting paid either to write or um, I was in outdoor TV for a very long time. I had a TV show uh, also called Days in the Wild, my podcast. Um, I was in outdoor TV for 12 to 14 years, had a TV show, Days in the Wild. Um, same, same name as my podcast is in the wild. Actually, my podcast was called interviews with the hunting masters, um, for a very long time. I think I changed it three years ago to match the TV show and to match my outfitting service, which is also called days in the wild outfitters. Um, one, because the, uh, the name interviews with the hunting masters was seemed like a little pretentious and people were like, well, this guy thinks he's on the master. <laughs> uh, but more so to create, you know, a synergy uh, of all my hunting related businesses um, having the same name, under the same branding, so to speak. Right. Uh, been an outdoor writer. I've authored a couple of books The Secrets of Hunting Western Game and The Whitetail Hunters Blueprint. Um, and, uh, man, I don't know. I've done. Wrote yeah. for a lot of magazines, <laughs> done it all. Yeah, I'm a guide, guide in Arizona, and guide, a guide in South Dakota, do a little bit in California here and there. Born and so, raised where? Or, um, so I was born in New York. I lived there till I was almost 16, and then I moved to Arizona in like 1991. Okay, so with the. Uh, been in Arizona and obviously getting to know that country. What brought you to guide in South Dakota? Um, well, it kind of came out of, uh, not necessarily necessity, but I had been hunting there. First time I went to South Dakota, I think it was 2004. Then I hunted pretty close to Wyoming on the North West portion of the state up by buffalo yeah and uh 
hunted antelope, I hunted mule deer out there. And then I got introduced to the Black Hills, hunted whitetail in the Black Hills quite a bit. Um, I hunted on the eastern, eastern side of the state a couple times uh, in the cornfields and whatnot. But uh, then I kind of found the, you know, the prairie, West River. And uh, I had found some BLM land that I was hunting and it was good. Uh, I had success camp, but I kept seeing much better caliber deer on private. So approached a couple landowners and uh, basically to make it work, I had to start guiding out there. Otherwise it would be too expensive for me to just lease it for myself. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, one thing led to another and uh, and that became what what, uh, turned into my guiding out there. Okay. Yeah, that that paints a little better picture. I was I was trying to envision like I know I know a lot of guides will travel around to various states to guide, but I was trying to figure out how you're guiding in a state you don't really live in as right. well. So you're you're working for an outfitter, which makes lots of sense. And um, do you get time to kind of check the area out? Do you come up here to scout, or or is there a lot? I'm sure there's a lot of that info. I have I have. Um couple of really good guys that work for me there that run cameras for me year round and uh my style of hunting i i'm basically a spot and stalk hunter and uh one thing i didn't give you in my little bio is that um i have a degree in marine land management and ecology um a certified deer steward and also a certified uh or have a professional certificate in forestry and I have a really good understanding of animals and how they use the landscape and so on and so forth. So I rely on that uh, knowledge to, I'm also a guy that's been hunting all over the United States and I've lived my seasons, you know, five to seven days at a time where I don't have time to scout. So I'm very good at e-scouting, very good at looking at things and saying, well, let me let me do this and let me do that, and I know I'm going to find animals. Um, no generalize. So no, I don't really go up there to scout, and I don't really need to. Okay. Yeah. Because I do have some boots on the ground in town, and the way that I hunt and my uh, skill set, I guess, um, it's not necessary for me to do that. And I really, really pretentious, but no, no, I, no, I, I can totally relate to that in a way that, uh, I hadn't lived West river here in South Dakota for, for some time. And I kind of grew up more East river, totally different terrain. And I was, I hadn't trapped in a while. I was in Colorado. I was required to use cage traps. So that was kind of a bummer, but yet another challenge. Okay. How am I going to catch stuff in cages and move back here? And I was like, okay, how the how the heck do you do this? All right. I, I don't, I know how to trap, but I just can't look at this ground. Right. So went out with a, another person that had a lot of experience and, um, and, uh, kind of ran his trap line with him for a day. And I, I got done. I was like, Oh, it's all the same. It's all the same. You look at it just a little differently. Um, right. 
the, the these lines, these edges, they're still, these are where the coyotes and bobcats are running. Uh, it's the same idea. So it, it didn't take me long to say, okay, I got it. I'm good. I just needed that confidence builder. So I, I can see that where your same, your similar hunting styles are going to be, uh, the way you hunt and especially traveling, you get a lot of experience of different types of terrain and, uh, different styles of hunts. But once you learn probably that style of Eastern Montana, Western South Dakota, Eastern Colorado, that kind of stuff, it's, I, I would imagine similar tactics. I mean, a mule, it's still a mule deer and they're right. Right. Uh, well, it, it, yeah, there's a lot of that. And then the other thing is recognizing what animals need, right. And right. what that means in the landscape that you're looking at. Yeah. So, um, I'd, uh, I want to dive into this a little bit cause I got some questions now. Uh, sure. one, of the, one of the folks I'm working with a little bit on my podcast to try and just improve it a little bit was saying how there is so many resources out there that are, let's say, uh, on X's YouTube channel. I love that channel. It's great. Got good stuff. Uh, and they kind of go and throw little pieces of here's how to e-scout. Here's that. Randy Newberg just goes like crazy with his e-scouting stuff. You watch some of that, but you sometimes come away with a... I don't know how to apply that. I don't, I don't, I, I'm still struggling looking at this, this topographic map. And so this gentleman I was chatting with, he kind of expressed that concern of how does that person that's an Eastern hunter or somewhere that's not used to this topography, look at this ground, uh, and, and be able to identify a game plan or a hump plan. Like what, what kind of, things can you share that how how you look at a new piece of ground and how you're you're attacking it okay well i guess it all depends on the species that i'm hunting but let's go mule deer mule deer in the prairie okay so mule deer in the prairie they're gonna need trees at some point right they're gonna need uh some thermal cover either trees or canyons um, that are going to block me. I mean, you know how South Dakota is. I mean, if it's not blowing 20 miles an hour, it's blowing 30. Yeah. So you need stuff that is going to protect them from that. So when, that's a good start, right? Um, you look at the other needs. You need water. You need feed. So now feeding the prairie, that's not usually a big thing. But if you have agriculture that's close by, right? Yeah. Then that becomes a more uh, desirable feed. Okay. And you're not relying on looking at forbs and grasses and native plants and stuff like that. That would, but you have to have those things too, because there's not always that agriculture. So you have to find both, right? Especially when you get close to the wintertime and, and that rut, rut phase. Um, that we hunt most of the time and that's where it's going to hold the does the does are going to you know um seek out the best possible habitat that's going to keep them the healthiest so that when they're impregnated they have a higher success of you know um having a successful birth and the, the farm living so you you will have to look at not only those items, but you have to look at juxtaposition, how they are related to each other. Because if you have an ag field that's 
two miles away and there's no travel corridor that that may not be a viable thing to, to worry about so it's it's having all the pieces of the puzzle the pieces of the puzzle are travel cover uh not just travel i should say escape routes too yeah yeah water um native feed and then destination feed when we're, when we're talking about south dakota or any place that there's agriculture there's always and, and really in other places too there's always destination feed too there's always a preferred food source something okay. that would they would rather eat on and it's being able to identify those things and so if you're doing e-scouting it's hard to see those things necessarily on a map yes you can see fields you can see water holes you can see drainages you can even on Google Earth or whatever, you could zoom in and see trails. That's all very important. But then you're like, okay, well, what are they eating? Um, that requires you to call to a biologist and say, hey, what is, you know, give me a list of the top 10 things that you prefer to eat in this region. You know, a lot of you, if you don't, if you're calling up a biologist and you're asking them questions like that, that are intelligent and not just hey, give me a place to go hunting. They're going to be pretty, pretty good about giving you the information. Yeah, I, I, I do work in that office where I overhear all of the biologist conversations, and, <laughs> and uh, it's I've been in this position now a year and a half or a year and a couple months. So uh, I listened to last season's turkey turkey conversations. It's the same ones yeah. happening. Um, it's always the same thing. Where, where do I go? It's, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's, they're not going to tell you where to go. It's every conversation, like every day, they get the same question. So they don't have the answer. They they have no problem telling people where to go. Like you can go do this, but I'm also sending 50 other people there. So because right. exactly. they they want to send people into those areas where they got turkey issues or um, especially elk in South Dakota. That's a definitely managed socially, uh, yes. pretty heavily. So they want to, those hunters to be successful. Our success rates are over 60%. It's very high, yeah. Um, so they're, they want that success and, but man, it's just like the same revolving door, same conversations, uh, and not to the biologist fault. It's, it's trying to think of those creative conversations they have with a biologist. And I like that one. What do those deer feed on in that region? I've never thought about yeah, that. I mean, you could ask them a whole bunch of things, you know, um, what, what is your, you know, the t- typical ester cycle? Like not that doesn't really change, but like where, what I mean by the ester cycle, like when you typically start seeing does come in and, you know, when does it taper off? Um, you know, just be creative about information that's going to give you the pieces of the puzzle. And what I've always told people is like, if you're used to hunting um, a lot in your home state, right, and you found a quote unquote honey hole for whatever animal that is that you're doing, take a good look at that honey hole of yours. Where are, where is the water? Where is the feed? Where is this? Where is, you know, all those things that we talked about originally. And look at that and then replicate that somewhere else. Look at it on a map. Look at it on a topo. And look at 
is that same formula, can I replicate that somewhere else? I can almost guarantee if you replicate that somewhere and find it on a map somewhere else, you're going to find whatever species it is there as well. Yeah. I like that. I think that simplifies it and just brings it back to what these core fundamentals are of, of let's just say mule deer hunting. And you can take that allowing, I talked, I have a lot of listeners that come from the East. They're, they're planning their Western hunt and it can be intimidating. Even for, for me say now I want to go check out Montana or Wyoming. That's intimidating for me. Uh, just that that's not, I don't know that country. I know right. Northwest Colorado. I know Western South Dakota. That's about it. That's where I've, where I've hunted and just branching out to some of these new places, getting new opportunities is, is kind of scary, but yet I think you can bring that back to ground zero and think of here's some simple concepts, simple things that uh, it's just a puzzle. You put that together and you can figure it out. Yeah. So like from a guy who's coming back from back East, one of the main things you look for when you whitetail hunting is edge edge habitat Mm -hmm. the transition between one specific type of vegetation or one specific type of landscape to another and that might be where a swamp meets up with you know a meadow or a meadow and a thicket meet up that if you go to that edge right there nine times out of ten there's going to be a trail there there's going to be signs that the animals are using that. It's not that it's not any different in the West. It's just, you got to use a different lens to identify it. Yeah. Okay. Because you're not, now you're not looking at a swamp and a meadow. You're looking at uh, a burn and a ponderosa stand, you know, you're looking at, where the prairie meets a creek bottom. That's, I mean, like, creek bottoms in in South Dakota are like, I think it's even easier because you have all this, all this land that seemingly looks exactly the same, right? And then you got this, you know, four-acre group of trees down in a cut. And well, you know, there's going to be a deer there. There's deer there, right? Because they're not they're not laying in the wide open grass right there. But there's going to be deer there. Um, I actually have this one little piece of land that it's it's not flat. It's it's got all like rollers, and it's just grass. You know, I don't even know how big it is. I think it's 200 acres, but and there's this giant creek bottom that cuts down the middle of it and then the neighbors have ag on two sides and the back side of it is a continuation of the same um, creek bottom and then more of the rolling hills right so more of what I got and people look at that and they're like oh my god there's so many deer out there but how do we get to them well, we're not going to get to them right now. We're just going to look and see what's there. And we're going to watch them. And we're going to see where they dive back into that, you know, 
that area this morning when they drop down back into the creek bottom and then we're going to move to a spot that more than likely when they come back out, they're going to come past us. And, you know, so to me, I think like that landscape where a lot of people would look at it and be like, oh shit, how the hell am I going to hunt this? When I can see deer, they could definitely see me and there's no way for me to get close. It's stepping back and looking at it from a, from afar, watching them, watch what they do, and then put yourself in a position. Hey, I call it spot and ambush, you know, where back east, tree stand hunting, you're ambush hunting, right? Mm-hmm. In the west, you're st- spot and stalking. Well, for me, South Dakota is like where the east meets the west, yeah. right? Yep. And depending on if you're hunting a big canyon country, there's a bunch of cedar breaks or whatever. Then you could do spot and stalk, but when you have straight up prairie and you have creek bottoms, then you have to kind of, you know, adopt that ambush mentality. But you can also be mobile, and I've killed, you know, whitetail and, and mule deer that way. I should have a video on my YouTube that I uh, from a few years ago, and this is when I was still actually hunting public land. Um. I glassed up this big whitetail buck and he was pushing a doe and he was heading towards this creek bottom that I had poked around in a little bit the day before. And I could tell he was heading right for this one spot where they cross and I found some good sign and whatever. And I made a big loop and I got around and I got set up and him and all the does came by me at one point and uh, I was able to make a shot and get a, you know, harvest that buck. And so it's, it's, it's a lot of it's about ident- you know, identifying going back to what you originally asked me is identifying those same things that you that you do in your own home state and maybe you don't you don't know that you're doing it but once you've found a place that has a lot of deer and a lot of elk or whatever the case may be they're in there for a reason and that reason is to have a tight suit with the, what their needs are right so identify those those needs identify what it looks like in your landscape and then try to replicate it somewhere else yeah Simple. so yeah, right <laughs> yeah, yeah oh so easy easy now as long as you can shoot straight uh the uh i've got a new piece of ground that i'm looking at uh and and it's kind of prompted a, a series that i'm gonna do um with my solo episodes here uh so there's a little plug for that we're gonna kind of get rolling with those a little bit but kind of planning it, I'm taking a look at my hunting just totally different. So, um, and I'm going to talk about this in another episode, but I, I, I buy antlers, I buy mounts. I'm one of those guys. Um, and I bought this guy's collection of antlers the other day The it was him and his deceased father. So it's a lifetime and a half of just like four point white tails. It was a truckload. Um, and, and the guys, they've got a lot of stuff. And I didn't even buy it all, but they just like, man, we spent a lifetime shooting these little bucks, like not little bucks, just average, nice deer. And mm-hmm. we, uh, we had a great time doing it. What am I going to do with all this stuff? So mm-hmm. here comes up me buying the stuff, taking it, using it, cutting it off skull plate and off it goes. Um, it just really made me think a lot around, do I want to just fill the, my, wallet full of tags that are the 
easy South Dakota hunts. And I don't want to just talk about South Dakota. That's anywhere. You can go get easy right. hunts all over the West. I, I definitely, cause only a fraction of my listeners are from South Dakota. I want to include this in multiple States. You can definitely go have those easy tags, easy, whatever, um, that, uh, you can fill a lot of tags and have a great time doing it. But I got, it's time for me to focus on, on some specific things. Um, and I, and I'm really looking at this new piece of ground that is semi prairie. It's not full on prairie cause it's got, it's got some good breaks to it. Some good cedars, decent amount of trees, but it's got the open, um, openness to it. If I told you where kind of where the rough area is at, you'd understand. But, um, it's, I'm just now, I feel like a, almost a new hunter that I'm looking at it with a different lens. It's not my honey hole. It's not a new place or place I've gone over and over again. Uh, and some of these little pieces you're saying are really kind of getting me to think about, okay, where, where on that piece of ground are those deep cans where that thermal cover is, where that feed is, where they're headed to. Uh, and so I'm starting to paint this picture. It's very new to the very beginning of this planning. So I haven't even dove into, I got three access points trying to find a little bit more of a, a backcountry hunt as backcountry hunts get. And so, okay, help me with a couple of approaches. And I know this is really hard not being able to see it, but thinking about your prairie hunts that, that you've attacked uh, what's your day to day and you on on those hunts and some of those uh, your way of approaching of and I like what you've already said about getting in front of them kind of dive into what that means just a little bit more uh and, and trying to paint this picture of what what a hunt looks like out in this more open country uh where where you've got those things figured out where you guide what's that look like um so maybe as an example, um, I'm trying to figure out how to answer that. Cause yeah, it's got a lot of, of questions in that one question. <laughs> sure is. Sure is. And I, and that's a huge fault of mine. I just have a question. Yeah, I got no, another no. question. I got another question. Uh, so think of an example hunt that okay. with, with some of your clients that you've, you've gone out with and, uh, it was, uh, you had to work for it. Um, maybe you weren't quite sure where, a decent buck was, um, but you had an mm-hmm. idea, you had an idea of the cover, you had that figured out that pre-scouting things up. So this is kind of like step two. Um, we've kind of got that figured out. What's step two of, uh, like what Remy Warren says, find them, shoot them, eat them. I can't remember what he else says. <laughs> his, his, his formula to being successful. It's really easy. Uh, well, so what's, well, what's step two? Well, it, it's, it's once I know that there's, deer there that we want to go after then i my my next thought process is how are they using the landscape and i could do that through deduction if i don't have which is basically just making educated guesses um if i don't have the time but if i have the time where this is your place and you're you know you got some time to dedicate it to I'd sit back with a spotting scope and watch or, or, you know, 15s or whatever. And I would just watch, let's see, okay. The deer come up here, the deer come out there. They like to feed on this hillside. And they, I find that they're very habitual. Um, even when they get to the rut, because the does 
continue to do the same thing and the bucks just start following them at that point. Hmm. So, um, I would just look at it from afar and okay. don't put too much, too much pressure of you walking around in there. I mean, now you got, you got, you got time. If you want to go down there and figure out what that creek bottom looks like or whatever, um, or whatever it is that, we, you know, the breaks, you want to figure out what it looks like, walk around, get a feel for how you can move about it quietly, how you can, you know, access different points. Cause if you're going to spot and stalk, that's a big, that's a big positive. Sure. Every year in my, in my main, uh, my main property that we hunt, it's all cedar breaks, giant Canyon, just all cedar breaks drops off like almost a thousand feet or something like that. It's like 850 hmm. feet or something down to the bottom. And, um, you know, it's there's all these little cuts and little places that deer can hide. So I spent a lot of time behind the glass looking for things, but one of the most important parts is knowing that when I go to make a move on something, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get there undetected? How am I going to cross these big wide openings? Because even in the Cedar Breaks, there's big wide openings, right? And yeah. so am I going to run into other deer on the way? happens all the time right so you need to kind of get a feeling uh for all that stuff so now's a good time to get a good feeling so i go hike around go find some sheds kind of get a good idea of what what it all looks like and commit that to memory hmm. and then when you get closer to season you know start spending some time looking from afar okay yeah that's uh, and I'm trying to figure out too if uh, and, and I'm thinking the the best opportunity for me in that area uh, is a is the archery tag because South Dakota it's September to the end of the year so you've got lots right. of time, um, but it's also rifle tag is not an easy tag to draw necessarily for an any deer. Right. Uh, there is lots of whitetail in the area as well, so. It's one of those where it could be a little bit of both. Going to still kind of treat it the same. Even kind of considered maybe in some of those areas that it could be a tree saddle kind of deal if I need to. But right. I, I don't know. I don't know yet if I want to go that route. I have to yeah. go, got to go buy one, which I'm not. We ex- run ground blinds and stuff like that also. Okay. Um, I don't do any tree stands. I shouldn't, shouldn't say don't do I have We have three set up in 5,000 acres that I have that we are but i struggle um, i struggle in a tree i can't sit there for more than two hours and i think that's also one of my faults of why i struggle with watching um so i'm glad you told me that because i don't have the patience i want to go dive into a place and go learn it and see what's there i want to see what's well, over the next hill see watching you could be a little bit more active a little bit more you know you can also be a lot more comfortable you don't have to be sitting still or, right um uh, and so on and so forth so you know getting a good tripod and then, uh, you know, good set of glass and and looking from afar and just kind of getting it. You'll see, you'll start to be able to put, and you might even want to keep a journal or whatever, uh, you know, really get focused on it. And okay, you know, this time, you know, three nose comes out and then you'll see that same pattern. Oh, two days later, same thing happened. 
you know, uh, it's, it's tedious. Yeah. Uh, and it's stuff that I definitely don't do anymore, but it's stuff I did when I was a younger man and wasn't married and had kids, you know, um, you can do that stuff. And, uh, once you've, again, it's like, once you've done it, it's stuff that you can apply in other places and you don't necessarily have to bring it to that extreme. You know, you can establish a pattern in two days versus, you know, spending uh, two weeks out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's, I'm in that weird transition of life of I'm not a young man anymore with all kinds of freedoms and I'm not, right. my kids aren't old enough to go with me <laughs> and more than a mile away from the truck. Mm-hmm. So yep. there's a, our attention spans are pretty short. I got a three-year-old and a negative two-week-old. <laughs> yeah. Doing yep. two weeks. So we're <laughs> counting down the days for that to start all over again. And it's going to be a a few years before I'm at that point of, of, uh, taking them out. But I I was just telling my three-year-old last night that uh, talking to him about, about this and our, in our, in our plans, as much as you can have a conversation with a three-year-old about, about growing up to be a hunter. And I, and I asked him if he was wanting to, wanting to go hunting with me and, and want to, want to bring his brother along. And we want to do that together. And, and Mm -hmm. he's been, he's probably going to be that weird kid in school because he wants to grow up to have a gun and a knife. He told me the other day. So (laughs) I don't know what kind of conversations he has with his teacher, but I'm probably high on their list of the weird dad. (laughs) That's how he's talking about things. He, uh, this is kind of weird. He started, uh, we, we did harvest a doe together for the first time this fall. Um, Mm -hmm. we've gotten really close on elk. We call, I called an elk for him when we were two, he was two. Uh, and he talked about that for a year and a half. Um, That's awesome. uh, and then antelope hunting, we were so close, but Harding County opening day, uh, not a place to be with a three-year-old antelope hunting. It's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Um, pro- yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up leaving, but all he says from that hunt is, Guys messed up our shot. Guys ruined our shot because <laughs> we were lined up on a on a decent buck, just waiting for him to do his thing, and and just everybody else found him and swarmed in, so it didn't work out. Uh, but anyway, so we we uh, found this. We're doing filling some doe tags in uh, just north of the hills there in that area where there's a crap ton of whitetails and mm-hmm. filling some doe tags, and that was his first time washing the field dressing. And it was just one of those things where I pulled a heart out. I pulled the guts out and he was just absorbing it and learning. And mm-hmm. I, I, he, he had talked about the other day how deer heart is yummy and it's good. It's yummy buck meat. Nice. That's, yummy buck meat is always his go-to or yum, yummy bull meat. Um, but it's, he, 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 then he started think relating it to his insides and how we don't eat that. And it's just like, oh my gosh, kid, we're going <laughs> to you don't have have these conversations with me. Don't have them with your teacher about how we don't eat people hearts, but we eat deer hearts. <laughs> so I'm a little nervous about those conversations he's having, but they're, they're kind of fun to have at home with him, but nice. kind of that diving deep of the learning there is kind of, it's, it's interesting. 
So uh, while we're in a transition phase, let me let's take a little quick break here, uh, and I want to ask here when we get back about uh, Howl and what you guys got going on there with conservation. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. So one thing you got also on your plate here is Howell. Uh, I'm, I'm working on uh, getting Charles on to talk about Howell, but I'd, I want to know what you guys got going on there as far as what you do and um, some of that work. And if you haven't heard about that, we'll put some links below for you to, to click and, and get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Charles, I'll definitely uh, I'll run you through the workings of how, uh, how the wildlife works and, uh, and the website and all the things that we're doing, uh, reward systems and all this stuff to get uh, hunters activated. Um, definitely, definitely the guy to speak to better than me. Uh, my, my role, I'm one of the co-founders, but my role is talking about the conservation side of it and talking about how hunters and anglers, um, we need to be more united. You know, one of the things that we face is that a guy in South Dakota, you know, who hunts whitetail in the Black Hills, doesn't give a crap about a guy in Florida who hunts hawks. Um, and it's important for us all to understand that we are all in this together, you know, that we all pay into conservation. We all put our money where our mouth is and it all goes to the same pot, right? Yep. And so right now there's a coordinated attack across the United States on lion hunting, bear hunting, bobcat hunting. Um, we call it low hanging fruit because it's not something that all hunters are interested in doing. Um, but it's not any less important. So, yeah. Um, and that's the thing, you know, a bear bear hunter in California loses his rights. How does that affect the guy in, you know, Maine who hunts whitetail? It doesn't, right? You think it doesn't, but it does. Yeah, because now I start thinking of, I feel like I moved to a safer state, <laughs> South Dakota, for that sort right. of thing. But yep. it's just probably prolonged where you have, uh, unless there's some things that can happen and, uh, you look at what happens in, in your state there with trail cameras 
that's another conversation. I guess not. That's not anti-hunting. I guess maybe it is, and I don't know. Um, it, 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 it is and it isn't. But yes, yeah, it's a people problem. But in, in it was introduced by non-hunting. So oh, okay. It's another. It's another right that we lost. That we right, right. So you've got that. that. You, that you yeah, we have the California stuff. We have um, all of the attacks all over in Washington, Oregon. Colorado, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, Virginia, yeah, and Georgia, um, and that's right. Now you look yeah, at Colorado Arizona. in the in the '90s, where they lost trapping and spring bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, major things that happened there. So those are those are the they're happening in states when things happen in Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, mm-hmm. So the trapping bans. That scares me. I understand. I know it's going to happen in California because he. I chatted with uh, um, Jim Huntsman, and and he talks a lot about the. Can you look at Idaho and the percentage of hunters that Idaho has out of their whole mm-hmm. population versus California, which are less than one percent. Things are going to go to a vote, and they're going to get shot down because you can convince anyone to put it on a ballot, um, right? Or it's gonna it's gonna get voted out or whatever. So. In uh, South Dakota here, it feels like, okay, I'm a little safer, but things are just going to keep creeping, keep creeping unless yeah. there's something that's going to happen. So that but it, you're not, you're it, not safe. Nobody right, is. Right. And it, it scares me. And that's why that allows me to, to want to care even more about even something happening over, I think you guys posted something, uh, uh, how for, is it Maine or just mm-hmm. a couple of things over on the way far east ways away yep. from me but it makes me want to care about those because i'm not going to hear about them i am not going right. to hear about them because they're a long ways away so exactly yeah and, I, and you're not going to feel the effect the effect immediately directly right right and you know those those days of us sitting on our hawks and you know oh somebody else will take care of that oh it doesn't affect me those days are over Mm-hmm. Those days are over. If you want hunting to continue on for perpetuity and you want to be able to have your kids or, you know, we were just talking about your sons, you know, and, and your grandkids and so on, enjoy it the way we did. Cause it, if, if you want those things, it, they're not going to be there. Not the same way. You know, it may take several gener- generations for them to get rid of it completely, but their goal if you want to know what the end goal is, go look at the bill that they got going on in Oregon right now, which basically me says that if you trim your dog's nails, um, it's illegal. Hunting and fishing is completely illegal. Riding horses is completely illegal. Ranching, forget about it. You can't be a rancher. <laughs> that That's their end goal. They just showed it right there. Right. They threw everything that they really wanted because they felt like they could right now in this regime, this political, um, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, the, our, our current state of politics, they felt like, yeah, let's let's throw this let's throw this out there and see what sticks. Yeah, they had a lot of support. Really? Yeah. It's, they do. You don't. You as don't ridiculous put the, as it is. You don't, if people are looking at the surface level of that, not even looking into what that really actually means. Like, but that's, 
Yeah. Just like our That's oil and gas. I just posted our oil and gas episode today that I did with a, a buddy that uh, how wildlife connects with oil and gas. But anyway, um, just look at right now. We didn't want oil and gas exploration in our backyard, but let's do it over elsewhere and buy that stuff. Well, look what's happening. Mm-hmm. We can't afford mm-hmm. to drive our diesel and, for, and our gas pickups. It's kidding. So um, I also want to quote uh, Dan Gates from Colorado Trapping Association. He always says uh, during a lot of his anti-trapping citizens petitions that come about is it's not a trapping issue. It's a sportsman's issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that is summed up perfectly. Trapping is by far some of the lowest hanging fruit. And, oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. And it's not a, not a trapping issue. For just the trappers, the 200-some trappers in the Trapping Association, uh, that's all they have, two or 300. Yeah. There's not many. Uh, it's a sportsman's issue. So it, right. th- that is just changing that verbiage to understand, I think, is is pretty important. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the message right there. It's like you don't have to be into bear hunting. You don't have to be into trapping. You don't have to be into line hunting. None of that, like you don't you do you do whatever makes you happy as far as hunting is concerned but when that stuff is under attack we want you to stand up for it because this is what happens okay this is i'm gonna i'm gonna generalize this real and put it in as simple terms as possible so you know i'm gonna use bear hunting in california because there's more bear hunters there than the, the 200 trappers you talked about, but we can sure. use trappers too. Let's say they take away bear hunting in California right now, because that's one of the bills. And you lose, I don't know, 3,000 hunters in California. So you said California only has, you know, 1%, whatever. Yeah, less than 1% of the, popul- of the population are, are hunters. Yeah, but you know, there's more hunters. There's more hunters in California than there probably is people in South Dakota. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah, it's only one percent, but California also has how many millions of people? Four hundred so, or forty. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly. We don't even have so, a million. <laughs> exactly. So, but um, you get my point right here. So right. You lose. You lose three thousand bear hunters. Now, the two thousand that were. You know, or 1,500 that were strictly bear hunters and they don't really hunt anything else because that was their thing. They don't hunt anymore. Now their thing is they're mountain bikers, you know, they're kayakers. They picked up something else other than bear hunting. Now you just lost 1,500 voices. You lost all that revenue that made, that makes us as hunters relevant. Okay, let me explain something to you everybody listening hunting only exists because of greed and that might sound really polarizing or i don't you know but outlandish but it's in so many ways it's the truth think about how easy it would be for the government to choose a side and it would be much easier for them to side with anti-hunting and say, no more hunting. Okay? Mm-hmm. But the ramifications of them saying that is what keeps you in this. 
the fact that we are billions and billions of dollar industry, right? And yeah. we are the number one reason why there are wild things and wild places is the reason why you still exist. So if you keep chipping away at that, you know, that fortification that we have, that we are relevant because of this money, and it's all about money, right? Mm-hmm. Money makes all of this work. If you keep chipping away at that and you keep taking away the, the voices that come, will come with that money, then you're not as relevant. Right. It's easier for you to get pushed aside. It's easier for a politician to say, well, you know what? You know, there's only 200 of these guys. Yeah. That's a small right. voting <laughs> voting pool. Right. As of right now, hunters actually outnumber anti-hunting. Mm-hmm. And as an industry, we destroy. We destroy them. Okay. So we have to keep that where it is. And now, more so than ever, we have to be activated. We all have to be activists. And I know that's a dirty word because it's usually associated with the other side. Mm-hmm. But now is the time for hunters to be activists and get involved. And that's that's one of the things that Hal's done. You know, Hal for Wildlife has given a voice and a, and a very easy way for hunters to be activists and to be involved and hear their voices heard. Because the old model doesn't do that. Right. When I was nine years old, I took my first hunter safety class in New York. And one of the things that they taught us was, you know, be very discreet. Be basically operate in the shadows. Be very quiet about everything. And... Now, with today's day and age, the way things are with social media and whatever, like that doesn't exist anymore. No. You know, everything we do is weaponized against us. And we can no longer rely on the fact that, you know, we have, we're relevant, right? We can't, we can't rely on that. We have to be at the forefront. We have to be out there. And one of the things that I'm heading up with Al is our education program. And it's educating and taking a page. Basically, it's what, it's what I'm trying to do here is take a page out of the anti-hunting um, players playbook. Okay. They've been operating in the mainstream media for as long as I, I know and way before me. And if you look at like Disney and Bambi and every movie that's ever been out that I can, I don't, unless you know one that I don't know of, but every movie that I've ever watched that has hunting in it, that hunter is usually a villain mm-hmm. or is, you know, made to look suspect to some way, shape or form, right? Or they're sloppy and a redneck or 
Exactly. They're a hillbilly. There's, there's this very um, coordinated mainstream uh, narrative that has been constantly bombarded to non-hunting public that were either running around in trucks willy-nilly shooting that shit, drinking beers, you know, mm-hmm. Elmer Fudd, or just creepy, bloodthirsty, you know, there's nothing good. We're not, we're not providers. We're not what we're not what we're supposed to be. Right. Yeah. Like Ace Ventura as he walks into the lovely room of death. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even exactly. a great movie like that had to be ruined with that stupid line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that guy and, was a hunter. I mean, he like shot the riot or whatever that is. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So it was a lot. Yeah, but yes, <laughs> exactly. But it, it, it's it's that narrative that's out there. And my goal and Hal's goal is to change that narrative to the truth. You know, that the reason why, you know, Mr. Mountain Biker can go access a trail and see wild things in wild places is because we made it possible. You know, so many states now are coming up with SCORP plans, or Mm -hmm. CORP, whatever, comprehensive, like, outdoor recreation plans and getting everybody to the table. The consumptive and non-consumptive users and all this sort of stuff. And it's, you're now having to figure it out. Like you figure out how everybody's going to use the landscape because Colorado is the perfect example of loving it to death. And Mm -hmm. you have no breaks for wildlife at any point throughout the year. The hikers, the bikers, and the skiers who, who who have fragmented the the, the landscape Far mm-hmm. more than an ATV trail that allows you to get into some BLM, uh, ha- have such great impacts on those little areas or on those big areas. So it's right. and, and not contributing financially any more yeah. than, and I'm not going to say not completely, but very minusculely and, and almost not at all. <laughs> like I know Colorado. That's a slippery slope, though. Right. You know that. I don't know. Oh, if, oh and, yeah. And I, I don't yeah. want to put my tinfoil hat on, but. So allowing them to have the say then, right? If you did, you're allowing them to have the say and and what you're doing, what, what the anti hunters have been trying to do for a long time is to replace the funding that comes from us. Right. Yeah. Now, if you replace the funding that comes from us, then again, you wrestle, your, your voice gets a lot smaller, right? goes back to what I was saying about greed and, you know, so a lot of people at face value, the hunters are like, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, let's let's support this bill because it's going to create more funding for, you know, wildlife and stuff. And it's not all on our backs, but be careful with that stuff. And I'm not I'm not educated enough to, to give you what the right answer is or what the no, no, that's a, is. But that's a really good point. That's a really good point because you, then you're a stakeholder. Exactly. So I don't mind that these people don't pay into stuff because right now that's what's keeping us alive. Mm-hmm. That's a um, really good point. 
I'll yeah. use that. I'll use that argument in the future because that's good. Uh, I'm going to ask you a very difficult conversation or question. Sure. Uh, so outside of what, how the structure of how, and mm-hmm. we're going to learn that later with Charles, but outside of that structure, what's the answer in your mind or possible answers for how we become more united? If I can wave my magic wand right now. Yep. Yep. That kind of, that kind of question. Okay. So there's 16 million hunters in the United States. Okay. We're back up to 16 million, which is good because we had that below 11, I think. Huh. Uh, so we're back up to where we were in the eighties, I believe. Don't quote me on the numbers, but we're about 16 million right now. If 16 million hunters were members of Alpha Wildlife, okay, and every time an anti-hunting bill or pro-hunting bill came up and we sent out 16 million um, emails or uh, signed a petition with 16 million people, do you know how powerful that would be? There wouldn't be a single, a single um, decision maker that could um, dispute that. Hmm. They would, they would, they would drop it. You know, if it was anti-hunting, they would drop it like it's hot. So let me explain. Maybe I'll tell you the story of how how it came about. Okay, real quick. So last year. There was a bill, another bill to ban bear hunting in California. And Charles called me up and he's like, hey, they're trying to ban bear hunting here in Cali because he was in Cali. And I'm like, all right, well, let's start a change.org petition. Said I've had some success with stuff like that before. And let's, I know a lot of people, you know, um, being in the business for as long as I can. So like, let's. Get it everybody out to everybody you know, everybody I know, and let's just try to cast as big as net as possible, and we'll see what happens. Well, we got twenty seven thousand signatures in five days. Jeez. Yeah, and between that and all the phone calls that we were pushing people to do, the sponsoring sponsoring senator dropped it in five days of it being on there. Things like I am not sponsoring this bill. So, if you can see, like you see how like that, how well, how effective that is, right? Mm-hmm. That was super grassroots. Because it's That's, a, it's a. I've heard it explained that that the those number of emails and calls that come in, it's almost like a tally. They get their little intern or whoever to take the call, read the emails, whatever. Right. And it's a tally. They tally that up. Okay. Yeah. You've got two twenty thousand constituent or ten thousand constituents calling uh, that want this or they don't want this, and right. and it goes in in whatever favor. Not that that's the end result, but to for a true public servant, someone who is actually serving the public, would look at that in a less selfish way and say, "This is." Uh, not good 
for the people or it's not bad or even the people that are not such good servants are going to say it's not good for me because because exactly. uh i'm gonna that's never get those work. yeah <laughs> sadly that's probably the the more realistic approach it's not good for yeah. me i won't it's make it not. back to office whatever I, I do not look as good as as i thought i would if i sponsor this bill yeah yeah exactly it's entirely it's entirely the way it works yeah and forgive me i don't know that i did I tell you how Houston does this stuff? I don't know if I told you before we were actually recording or not, or if it's a conversation I had earlier today. I don't know. Yeah, go but, for it. So, I still so we'll take California again because it's an easy target. It's always on the fire. And uh, so Houston will put out this um, a poll, and they will poll Californians. And I don't really know how they derive their statistics, like, you know, how many people they poll and then they, you know, extrapolate it or whatever. But they poll, um, let's say 10,000 people, which I think might even be a lot, but let's say they poll 10,000 people. And they'll ask questions like, are you okay with um, sows being killed when they have cubs? And then they'll ask are you okay with meat being left out in the field and just taking the head? Um, are you, you know, okay with cubs dying? Stuff like that. Okay, and then they'll take that effort. And no, no human being is going to say yes to any of that. Right. Right. Apparently, some of them do because I'll I'll you'll figure that out here in a second. But. Um, but no hunter is going to say yes to any of that. First off, leaving meat in the field, that's one waste. It's a fine yeah. and possible jail time. Um, killing a sow with cubs, illegal. Um, you know, killing a, killing a cub, not usually what we're out there for, right? Mm-hmm. So all these things is all things that even a hunter would say no to. They take this information and they say, this is what a trophy hunter is. And they go to Senator Joe Schmo and they say, hey, Senator Joe Schmo, 90% of Californians are against this, 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 and this. Well, no shit. Freaking everybody's against that. But, and angles, this is what, and this is what trophy hunting is. Trophy hunting is killing sows with cubs. They're, you know, just taking the head and the hide and leaving the meat. You know, that's that's the picture that they paint. So, of course, Senator Joe Schmo is going to be like, yeah, let's do this. I'm with you. And then they bombard him with a bunch of bullshit freaking, excuse my French, but um, just lies. Statistics. No, they come up with their own science that you know, most of it's social science, but even their science science is baloney. And you and they present and they present it, right? So this now the senator gives this to one of his aides and his aides looks at it. You know, they give him the thumbs up. This looks like a good thing. Let's get behind it. And they don't know any better because one, they don't, they're not looking past that. They're not, they're not diving any deeper into it, which sucks because these are our freaking lawmakers and they should, 
do the deepest dive possible, right? And look at it from all angles. Yeah. But they don't. They don't because he's just, you know, presents such a great, um, you know, uh, package to them that they're, they feel like they don't have to go in for Oh, they covered all the bases. Like they did social, they did this, they did this, this. But it's all manipulated. Yeah. So, you know, we find that if you that you educate, we've gotten plenty of emails back because we've sent the real stuff. We've sent the other side of the coin, and we like even in, in Colorado, we had one of the uh, one of the sponsoring senators who pulled off, pulled off the uh, line ban there contacted us and said, "I want to thank you for letting me know about all these things because I didn't know that." And that's a testament. So what I was getting at is politicians are going to do what we touched on earlier is what makes them look the best. Right. Right. What, what they think is going to make them look best. So it's our job to educate the non-hunting public and Howell's going to do our best to educate you know, these decision makers with the right data so that they can make an informed decision whether they're not. You know, now, if they're already an anti-hunting type person, then, you know, not much of what you can say can help that, but... It's like a Facebook argument. Just ain't going to go anywhere. Pretty much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I totally would agree. Totally agree. I think that's a, uh, it's really interesting to get some of this background light on, on some of these things and the, the work that your, your organization is doing, um, is going to push me even further to try and corner Charles a little bit more. See if I can get him. He's a busy uh, guy. I'll try, to wrangle, I'll try to wrangle him down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I get off with you today, I'll, uh, I'll give him a call and make sure it gets, but cool. Yeah. I, I want to, I want to share more about what you guys are doing because I didn't hear about you guys until what was the start date of, of when? So we, we didn't actually launch until um, January 11th. Okay. So, and I just heard about you guys during the Arizona stuff. So, yep. That's why, and that's why we launched. We were, so the technology, the website side, all that was already in place and running on all cylinders. We knew, all that stuff worked the way we anticipated it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were still working out, you know, the inner workings of the organization. Were we going to be a 501c3? Are we going to, you know, be a for-profit? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? You know, like all these uh, things that we hadn't decided. But when that popped up here in Arizona, my home state, I was like, Charles, I think now's the time we need to launch this shit. Let's go. Yeah. You know, let's just, let's just roll with it. We'll make, we'll make whatever adjustments we need to make along the way, but I can't let this, you know, happen here. And, um, we've had tremendous success. We have over 18,000 members right now. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, Um, um, I've got some questions for him on the structure and, and some of the strategy as to signing some things. And I, I, I want to dive into that with him for sure. Yeah. Cause it's absolutely. making me, making me think a little bit. And after I had signed a couple, a few, 
that was mm-hmm. I, I wanted to yeah get a get a little more clarity on on some of that process so that'd be excellent um but i i do want to wrap things up and and i really sure. did enjoy this conversation thank you very much definitely oh, thanks for having so me <laughs> i just wrote down learned how to attack my new deer season my <laughs> new spot in deer <laughs> season uh learned how to talk more about anti-hunting um and uh learned how to kind of look at a piece of ground a little differently so i learned learned a few things here for sure and i appreciate it and uh i love new perspectives on on things and uh, i know you're kind of hesitant of saying a couple little things in there just being maybe a little bit more uh risque to say but i those things got to be said and they they uh they they really uh kind of help you paint a light on, on the whole scenario. So you guys did that for sure. Starting how, and, and I bet you've gotten some negative feedback somewhere down the line and some contention, I'm sure. And yeah, look out, look out humane society. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, they, uh, uh, they need someone else to battle, battle them. It's going to take us all. Like you said, 16 million would be definitely right. helpful <laughs> to, uh, to support that because the humane society just gets funding for stupid reasons and people have no idea whether they're funding them. So, um, absolutely. If I could, before I leave uh, leave you to it, um, I want to challenge your listeners to educate yourself on the North American model for conservation. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Take a a deep dive into that and, and really, um, you know, learn the ins and outs of that. We're actually going to have something on how on the how foundation side um that will you know be like a little mini class and you can take a quiz and then after that quiz you'll get rewarded with uh you know discounts to buy gear and stuff like that so um but um i want you to to learn that stuff and and strike up a conversation with a non-hunter try to do that once a year and then educate them on what it is that we do why it is we do it really think about why you do things think about the meat think about the camaraderie think about the heritage and all that stuff all the things that mean that are meaningful to you and your family and really formulate that you know i don't want you to be you know one of these guys oh, this is my right and this blah 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 you know like yeah that stuff is important but it doesn't resonate well with with non-hunting, right. you know, with non-hunters. So you need to give them an education on how the conservation model works, how your role fits in and what it means to you. And you're going to start changing minds. And if stuff does go to the ballot, they're more likely to side with you. Yeah. That's a good plug. And episode 16 of mine, a long time ago, I did that. North American model wildlife conservation. If you're too lazy to read a one page paper, um, on the fish and wildlife website, episode 16 will cover it. So I can I'll walk you through Sweet. what that all means. Uh, but also, geez, I almost forgot, but once you plug your podcast, plug, um, how plug all those different things you got oh, going yes. on that you want to plug. <laughs> um, yeah, well, how for wildlife is H O W L for wildlife.org. Uh, you could go up and sign up for be a free member. Uh, there will be a paid membership with uh, you know, different features and benefits coming up pretty soon. Um, 
my podcast is Jays in the Wild, and uh, been doing it for a long time. So you can uh, check that out. You can just find me, John Stallone, pretty much any social media platform. Uh, I'm most active on Instagram, probably, but um, you can find me pretty much anywhere. That's it. I got a lot of stuff, but I don't need to plug it. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. And I'm sure each one of those or mainly days in the wild can direct you back to other things. So, um, yes, looking at the episode titles, uh, you, it's worth giving it a look. So, um, for sure. I think some of those are, or a lot of those are going to be really, really entertaining. I'm going to go listen cause I got the rest of the day off. So I'll just plug and listen to some, my Monday podcasts is, is kind of, I love to, love to just turn them on and, and listen to what other guys are doing. So, um, awesome. well, awesome again, John, thanks so much. And I appreciate you for, for being on. Likewise. Thank you. Ground. This is God's country.